You know, I'm a firm believer in if you want something badly enough and you have a vision of it and you make it a tangible thing, then you can build it. It will come to fruition. Welcome to The Profitable Table, fed by Woolco Foods, the nation's first podcast devoted to the business and lifestyle of the hospitality industry. Now, here's your host, Wilco Foods CEO, Stephen Toberoff. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Profitable Table, fed by Wilco Foods. I am your host, Stephen Toberoff, and today I'm very excited to have my guest because she's somebody that has been getting a tremendous amount of press and somebody that's really on point with a lot of the trends that we've been talking about in prior episodes. So without further ado, let me introduce Leah Gashion, who's the owner and chef of South and Pine in Morristown, New Jersey. Leah, thank you for taking the time to uh, speak with me today. Of course, my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. In researching this uh, interview, I looked on your website, among other places, and your website is fantastic. I, I just have to tell you, it's so compelling and clear and engaging. But before we get into it, could you just tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into the culinary industry and, and just a little bit about your background? Yeah, of course. So when I was a kid, I used to love watching cooking shows on TV while all the other kids were outside playing kickball and uh, playing with Barbies and G.I. Joes. I was usually at home watching Frugal Gourmet, Yan Ken Cook, and, and then little by little, the Food Network came into play. And I loved watching Emerald Live and Essence of Emerald and the Two Hot Smallies. So I was always kind of enamored with watching people cook on TV. When I was a senior in high school, I applied for a few different colleges, but I really wanted to go to Montclair State University to get my psychology degree because that seemed to be the degree that everyone was getting at that point. It wasn't necessarily something I was passionate about, but I knew that I had to go to college and I had to you know, pursue a career in something. Montclair State actually lost my application and told me I wouldn't be able to start until the following semester if I was going to start. So... As a 17-year-old, I had a little bit of a meltdown, <laughs> and uh, I was working at a bookstore at the time, and my boss, he had a talk with me, and he said, you know, like, what do you really love to do in life? And I said, I really love cooking. And he said, well, my wife goes to culinary school in the city. Do you want me to set up a tour for you? And I said, yeah, I would love that. And so I went into the city with my mom to the New York restaurant school, and we took a tour of the school, and I fell in love. I couldn't believe that there was a school that had classrooms that were kitchens. It was really just so exciting for me. And so we signed up that day for culinary school. I started in 2001. I got my associate's degree in culinary arts and restaurant management. And I actually thought that I was going to be front of the house. And I started to pursue a career in the front of the house. And I started working at a steakhouse as a host and slowly over the course of the year, worked my way up to an associate manager. I wanted to become an assistant manager, but they wouldn't promote me. And so I went to Montclair, New Jersey one day, one day and just dropped off my resume at like 20 different restaurants. And I ended up getting into a kitchen with a French chef. And that's kind of what started my culinary career. And I haven't left the kitchen since. That's so cool on, on so many levels. I mean, what, what a wonderful act of serendipity that that uh, application was lost and it opened the door to pursuing your passion, you know? Yeah, everything happens for a reason. 
Because so many people, they don't realize that until much later. That's very cool. Something you said, I was going to get into it later on in the episode, but since you brought it up, I just have to ask about it because as I was reading through your your website, it's such a great website, as I said at the beginning, because it tells you so many different things about yourself, the restaurant, it's visually compelling. But as you're describing your restaurant, I noticed that one of the of the four things that you listed, the first two had to do with service and how people feel in the restaurant, even though you're an incredibly accomplished chef, which we'll get into. Do you think that has to do from your original impetus to want to be front of the house? Or is that just really what your overall philosophy is about restaurants, that the experience and the service and how people feel has to be first and foremost? I do think that service is a crucial part of a restaurant. I mean, there's plenty of good restaurants with great food and terrible service, and there's plenty of restaurants with great service and terrible food. And I'll usually go back to the one, unfortunately, with good food and bad service first. But I do think that good service is a really important aspect of a restaurant. And you know, I think that that starts the tone of the evening. And so we really strive to make people feel like they're in our home when they come to dine at Southern Pines. Mm. Now, reading about your bio, I know that you've spent a number of years working with Bobby Flay. We actually, my father did business with Bobby when he had his first restaurant way back when called Miracle Grill. And uh-huh. I was just curious, what were the main sort of lessons or what have you come out from that experience of learning from him and others that you've brought to South and Pine? Because obviously he's somebody that's very well known and has a lot of different influence in the kitchen and, and outside of the kitchen. Yeah, I think two of the biggest lessons that I learned from Bobby were, number one, it's your job first to be a teacher. If you can't teach people then I don't think that you will be successful in this business because you can't do it all yourself. So I think this past year has really proven that if it hadn't been proven beforehand. And I think the second most important thing, and it's something that I instill in my cooks every day, is is, is that if you're not tasting the food, then you're not really cooking. And so I don't think that cooking is that complicated. I think that A good friend of mine always says that there's a mix of technique and quality of ingredients. And I think that it's really important that while you're cooking, you continue to taste and make sure that the food is balanced and it tastes really good because that's what makes good food good food. Mm. Makes a lot of sense. And I, I think it's such an important thing, but you're right. It can oftentimes be overlooked. Now, obviously, from your background with Montclair State and being in New Jersey, and you mentioned it in your bio that you were born and raised in New Jersey, I've done earlier interviews with places such as, let's say, Hearth and Tap. And one of the things that I've identified and I believe has been going on for a long time, and I think it's accelerating, is that people are now coming from New York to New Jersey for the culinary experience. For many years, people would be going from New Jersey into New York. New York was this Mecca. So my question, Leah, well, it's a two-part question. One, did you always envision opening your first restaurant in New Jersey? Because obviously with your accomplishments and your background, I'm sure you had a number of opportunities. And then two, which, you know, I I could re-ask it, but two, do you agree with me that New Jersey is now really starting to establish a very clear and compelling restaurant scene of its own that's driving people from New York to New Jersey? Yeah, I do think that New Jersey tends to get overlooked because we are right next to New York and New York City. And there's so many phenomenal restaurants in New York City with such a high standard. But I think that, yeah, there's definitely plenty of restaurants in New Jersey that can stand up 
to New York City restaurants. And many of the chefs and restaurant owners who have fantastic restaurants in New Jersey were a part of the New York City dining scene at one point or another. And I think that you get really good training from being in places like that. For me, you know, I'm a firm believer in if you want something badly enough and you have a vision of it and you make it a tangible thing, then you can build it. It will come to fruition. I was born and raised in Passaic, New Jersey. My mom was a single mom. I don't come from money. We were fortunate enough to be able to go to a, a good school growing up because of my grandfather. But it's not like mommy and daddy handed me a bunch of money to open a restaurant. And, and through my career, when that conversation would come up, I always envisioned having a restaurant in New Jersey. So I'm really proud to be a part of the food scene here in Jersey. That's so cool. So let me ask you this question. One of the reasons I started this podcast was because I wanted to contribute and add to the content out there that was related to the business side of the restaurant industry, because there's a lot of content on recipes and and stuff of that nature. Now, in your situation as an accomplished chef and as the chef of your own restaurant, at the same time, you're the owner. How do you balance the decisions you make or how is the thought process on your end between when you make decisions, do you think first as the business person? Do you think first as the chef? Do you feel it's just sort of seamless, something you're not aware of? How does that work from your perspective? Because obviously you've got two major responsibilities there. The owner side of things, which is one set of calculus. The chef side, which can sometimes be a little bit different. Yeah, I mean, I think times have really changed. And I think that chefs kind of have had a certain... That's the word that I'm looking for. Chefs kind of had a little bit of a bad rep for a little while. You know, people thought that chefs were angry, and, and they were. I've worked for them. I've worked for chefs who constantly said no, who would constantly get angry at the front of the house asking for something special, and, and they would throw things and yell and scream and make a scene, and believe me, been there, done that. Early in my career, that was who my mentors were, and I'm fortunate that later in my career, I worked for chefs who were different, who understood the importance. And this especially goes for working with Bobby Flay. Up until that point, I had never worked for a restaurant where the front of the house and the back of the house had such a seamless relationship together of just teamwork and wanting to make the guests happy. And I think that that's really important. So I think first, I think like a chef, because for me, it's, the food is, is the best. That's the best part of my job. And I love food. I love thinking about food. I love eating food. I love cooking food. I love dreaming it up. Um, anything that has to do with, I think food is one of the best things in life. So that always for me is the driving factor of what we're doing here. But then it's working with the front of the house staff and making sure that they understand why these dishes are on, on the menu. For instance, we're just in the midst of changing our menu over to our summer menu. And I put one salad on for summer, we're calling it the NJ Farm Stand Salad because it literally reminds me of driving up to my friend's house in Sussex County on a summer weekend to go and spend the night with her around the campfire. And on the drive up, I'd pass five different farm stands where you can go and pick up local beef and you could pick up hot dogs they made there at the farm and, and corn on the cob and zucchini. And so the salad has zucchini and corn and green beans. And it just reminds me of summer in New Jersey. And so telling that story to staff that now gives them something to tell our guests. And I think that it's all, 
it's all important and it's all relevant. Mm. I couldn't agree with you more. I think when you have restaurants that have that teamwork, it translates into probably the best possible dining experience for the customer. As you were designing the menu for South and Pine, were you driven mostly by creations that you'd been thinking about that you'd done before? Or were you also thinking about what the Morristown market may have wanted, that there was a gap there? What was your thought process like as you designed the concept and the menu around South and Pine? Well, it's funny because at the time when I started building the menu for South and Pine, I was still working in the city for Bobby. And so I was presented an opportunity where it might be a possibility that I could open my own restaurant. So after working a 12 or 14 hour day with Bobby, I would go home and I would write down ideas that I had. And I think for me, the way that I cook at South and Pine is the way that I cook for myself. And so if I'm going to cook dinner for myself, I'm going to go to the market and I'm going to see what's super fresh and what's in season. For instance, yesterday I was home and I was making myself some food for the week and it's so hot out in New Jersey right now. And so I had some cucumbers and some cherry tomatoes and I chopped it up and I made a little white bean salad and it's super refreshing. So like things like that really inspire me. And I, I think that people are eating more consciously now. And so I try to keep in mind to keep the food very mindful. I try to work with a lot of local farms, as many as I can. And right now it's such a beautiful thing because in summer there's so many things available. And that's really what what it is for me here. Now, one of the main dynamics that was essential over the past year was the utilization of takeout and delivery. And that whole dynamic spilled over into all types of cuisines, all types of restaurants. I'm curious as to what your thoughts are as a chef in terms of how you view the takeout and delivery aspect of the restaurant as opposed to the dine-in, by which I mean, are there certain creations that you don't like to offer for takeout? Do you feel the whole menu travels well? Or do you think about that a lot or do you simply say, you know what, we've got this great food, we're going to make every, the entire menu available and, and give the customers at home the same great experiences when they come here? What's your thought process like around that? And did you find that to be something material for you over the past year as well? Yeah, I think over the past year, that definitely was a huge thing that we thought about a lot of the dishes don't necessarily carry well for takeout. And so in March last year, when they announced the lockdown and that we would only be allowed to do takeout, we made a smaller version of our menu with food that we thought would carry and travel well. And little by little, we added on to that menu. and We actually implemented a grain ball section of our menu where it was super seasonal. And we had one called the PPT bowl. <laughs> and it was with English peas, sugar snap peas, and pea shoots. <laughs> That's very funny for those business owners like myself. That was a very important program that they uh, came out with. So that's really cool. Yeah, we, we did a little, it was a little kitschy, but it was, you know, we needed to laugh. We needed to laugh pretty bad at that point in time. For sure. So we added things like that onto our menu that traveled really well. And, you know, like I said, I think people eat a lot more consciously. And so it was a little bit more health forward as opposed to, Listen, I love pizza, and I'll quote a very good friend of mine, Martina. I love good pizza, and I love bad pizza. I love all pizza. But how many times a week can you eat pepperoni pizza before you're gaining the COVID-19 yourself? So 
we tried to get creative. We also implemented family meals. We did like a Sunday supper program where you could order ahead. And one of the meals that we did for Sunday supper is actually on our menu now. And it's grilled salmon with kimchi fried rice and a little cucumber and sesame salad on top. And it was great for the Sunday supper. And we had a lot of positive feedback about it. And so we decided to put it on the menu as a permanent staple. And it's one of our most popular dishes. So yeah, I think we were very thoughtful about what we had on the menu, especially in that time where we were only allowed to do takeout. And now we offer all of it for takeout. And I think that there's some better choices. Listen, if you're going to come and pick up, I don't know, let's say a duck breast, I don't necessarily think that's the best thing that you can order for takeout that's going to hold up the best, but it's still going to be very tasty. Yeah, I think you're right. And I also think it's cool that there's so many different, because I think people have really expanded their horizons of what they would actually consider getting for takeout and delivery over the past year. So I I do think it presents a lot of opportunities that for for certain types of restaurants that weren't there before. And I, I think it's ultimately all very positive. Now, something else on your website that caught my eye, because it's a theme that's come up with many of the restaurateurs and others that I've interviewed in New York, which is you really emphasize the fact that you want the restaurant to be a comfortable place for regulars, that it's a home away from home, that whole thing. At the same time, with your background, with your cuisine, Morristown is a really cool happening town. How in your mind and how in terms of execution do you position yourself from a marketing standpoint? Do you really double down on focusing in on the regulars, the locals, the repeats, or do you also like to reach out to other parts of New Jersey as well? Because South and Pine would absolutely be a destination spot that people would drive to from other parts of New Jersey and indeed New York. Yeah, I think that, you know, I'm very fortunate to be here in Morristown. And I feel like Morristown itself has done a wonderful job at marketing this town that we live in. I think that they have made Morristown a destination and it is growing in the most wonderful way. And I think that we will continue to reach the benefits of that. And I actually live here now and I'm a proud resident of Morristown as well as business owner. So I think for me, that was kind of where it started with the Morristown community. I think it was reinforced this past year with the support of the community to get us through the pandemic. And the community here in Morristown was, it literally could bring me to tears because they kept us in business. And I am forever grateful for the people that ordered takeout from us and ordered groceries from us and then decided to start dining outside with us and then inside. I mean, it's really a really, really beautiful thing. So I'm very fortunate for that. As for marketing, I really don't do any paid advertising or marketing. I use social media for pretty much everything that I do. And sometimes I use a email, but it's mostly all through social media. I think that the more notoriety that South and Pine and myself both get, then the more recognition we will get and the further of a reach we will have. So it's been a steady climb and the business has definitely grown over the past six years. And I'm just so fortunate and so grateful for everyone's support and that they keep coming in to try the food. Yeah. I mean, I think that there was probably a certain number of restaurants in New York that 
had never viewed themselves as places where they would be a go-to spot for the locals or destination spots. But I think after this past year, people have come to the conclusion that that's the foundation you need to build first. You need to be a big part of your community. You need to have your regulars. You need to have that word of mouth and build from there because ultimately that was the foundation. Now, I know you've spoken a bit about, and it's on your website again as well, fresh ingredients and all that, but I would love to know your thoughts in terms of what trends are you creating or what do you see some of the big changes or the big innovations that are coming down the pike, just one or two, you know, that are just starting to get going here? We talked about fresh and local, which I think has been going on for a while. Is there anything else that you see or that you're utilizing that you think is new and something that's not on everybody's radar right now. Well, I think, you know, and maybe it's on some people's radar, but I think one really important thing that we're seeing is maybe eating less meat, less red meat, and opting into eating more vegetables. So we almost always have a few vegetable appetizers here at South and Pine and always at least one vegetarian entree. But I think that, again, with the more knowledge that we have, the more mindful people are about what they're eating. I think the menu here at Southern Pine is really my brainchild, and it's really how I cook for myself. So I've been trying to be more health conscious. In the first part of the pandemic, things were very stressful, and I wasn't really taking care of myself. And in September of 2020, I really started to focus on my health and my wellness and I've actually lost 40 pounds and I think that that's because of the way a lot because of the way that I'm eating and also working out so I try to take a more health conscious approach to the menu and make it lighter where you can come out for a meal and not feel awful when you leave and not feel like you're being overindulgent but then you know sometimes you do want to indulge and you do want to come in for a burger or a fried chicken. And I think it's important to live your life in moderation. I think that's so cool. And I can relate to it. Like I'm not a vegan, but I would say the vast majority of my meals are plant-based. And I think that the evolution is moving in the direction where people want to have healthy and, you know, nutritious choices, but they want it to taste delicious as well. And I think those restaurants like South and Pine and others that can deliver on that mission are going to be the ones that are going to be winning for years to come because to just rely on the old standards where people would have very heavy, fattening, usual stuff that that, that people like, that's not going to be the go-to for everybody. And even if it is the go-to for one person, what about a party of four or six? There's going to be at least one or two people. So that's very cool. See, I think what I'm really hearing and you know, is, is something that I hope that the listeners out there that are just getting started or, or who aspire to be chefs and restaurateurs are listening to is that so much of your decision-making is just driven by what rings true for you. And I found, and I'd be curious to know your thoughts, that a lot of times chefs get into trouble, particularly ones that have a great reputation, because they try to create dishes that they think they should do based on their reputation or based upon where they're located or whatever, rather than having dishes that reflect what's authentic for them, if that makes sense. Yeah, I agree with you. So my last question, Leah, would be the following. If you were to give somebody, again, let's say the same position you were in, 18-year-old, they love food, they love in the kitchen, they're not sure what they want to do with their lives, but they're thinking about, you know, hey, how can I turn this passion into a career? What would be one or two things that you would suggest they do to determine whether it's for them? 
Well, I think that this is definitely an interesting topic right now because there's such a lack of workforce in this industry. I just got done posting to very expensive ads to try to hire cooks. But I would say, I think that culinary school is an excellent foundation. Again, I watched cooking shows growing up on TV, so I felt like I already knew how to dice an onion before I started culinary school, and I already knew what a bechamel was, and I knew some of the fundamentals, maybe not all of them, and I do think that I received a wonderful education. But you can receive a wonderful education if you work in a good kitchen. And I have to say... You know, I don't think that there's anything wrong with a male chef. I have actually only worked for male chefs in my career, and they most of them were absolutely wonderful to work for. But I do think it's a very different experience when you work for a female chef. I think that we tend to be a little bit more nurturing, and we have a different attention for detail than men do. I might get in trouble for saying that. <laughs> I think it is very different than working in a male lead kitchen. So I would recommend going to work for a woman. And if you're a woman looking to get into this industry, I would say don't be afraid. It's a very different place than it was 2010 and even five years ago. And I think that you just need to find the place where you're going to learn and just dive in and take notes and pay attention and put your head down and, you know, be willing to work because the job's not easy. It's definitely gotten a lot better over the years in regards to work-life balance. Don't get me wrong, there's still work weeks that I work a lot more than I would like, but desperate times call for desperate measures. But it's a beautiful industry and, and you can really make something of yourself. And it's just, it's so much fun. Two weeks ago on Saturday night, we were very busy right off the bat at five o'clock and from five o'clock to six fifteen, it was just nonstop and the tickets wouldn't stop and the cooks kept putting food in the window and I'm trying to talk to the servers and tell them where to run this dish and talk to the line cooks and tell them what table I need and pulling plates from it's just very hectic. And when it was over, I thought to myself, some people will never know what this feels like and I feel sorry for them because it is just exhilarating. It's an exhilarating feeling and I love this business. It's one of the great things about the uh, hospitality business and certainly being a chef because you get to be both artist, but also there's that aspect where it's almost athletic as well because you're on your feet, the kitchen's hot, and you get into this zone and hours can fly by. There really is no job like it, and I really appreciate your answer because I think especially at this moment in time, there's probably no better way to learn anything than in immersion. And with all of the opportunities that are out there now, you'll not only get to see if it's something you like from the perspective of watching cooking shows, as you say, but you'll know what it is to actually work in the industry. So I really appreciate that answer. And I really appreciate you taking the time to speak with me, Leah. This was very enjoyable. So again, for people who are near Morristown, or even if you're not near Morristown, this is a very special place that you want to try. It's on 90 South Street in Morristown, New Jersey. You can check them out on Instagram at South and Pine. And it's Leah Gashion And Leah, again, I really appreciate this. This was a lot of fun. Yeah, it was so much fun. Thank you so much for having me. And uh, I hope that you come in and have a bite sometime. I'm looking forward to it very much. Well, thank you. Awesome, Leah. Have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to The Profitable Table, fed by Woolco Foods. Please be sure to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. 
And to learn more about Woolco Foods or Stephen Toberoff, please visit us at woolcofoods.net.